The opinions expressed in this show are the views of the host and not necessarily that of WTRW, 94.3 The Talker, or the Bold Gold Media Group. The following presentation is brought to you by the host of the program who is solely responsible for its content. The information contained in this program should not be construed as, nor is it intended for, medical diagnosis or treatment. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to On the Couch with Dr. John G. Kuna. You can certainly visit us at drjohngkuna.com and call us at our phone number, 570-961-3361. We also have our, our personal email, onthecouchnipa at gmail.com. So we're here today joined by our clinical manager, Philip. Hello. And we'll be talking about very different subjects and topics today. Predictability being what it is, or not, apparently we've had some uh, weather issues during the week. There was supposed to be snow on Wednesday, as you know, and there was not, and Friday turned out to be what it was, but psychology is much more predictable. And I don't really mean that. Uh, I think that uh, predictability um, can come and go um, sometimes with the weather, but the best predictability of past, future events, rather, is past um, events, and Sometimes, while we can hope for, uh, to say, some type of predictability of what's going to happen next in our lives or what may cause us anxiety is many times predicated um, by what we have seen or has happened to us in the past. But to begin the show, um, Phil, I see you have an amazing article there about uh, benzodiazepines and state law. Well, this is a little news article here, Um, Massachusetts... Um, Senator Paul McMurdy is trying to pass Bill HD 4554. 4554. Sounds like a meteor. Yeah. 4554. But the state bill is, um, it's gaining support. And uh, I just thought I'd bring this little news article to our our listeners. But the, the bill is to restrict the prescription, or I would say the, um, the prescribing mm-hmm. of benzodiazepines. Um, and so basically, you know, for the, the bill, if it passes, would um, just require that all patients who um, are prescribed benzodiazepines are, one, informed of the dangers, uh, and two, particularly the dangers of long-term use. Um, so this little news article that I got from madinamerica.com um, has a little blurb in here from the manufacturer's of Ativan. So this is from the uh, prescription guidelines as outlined by the manufacturers of Ativan. In general, benzodiazepines should be prescribed for short periods only, uh, in parentheses two to four weeks. Extension of the treatment period should not take place without reevaluation for the need for continued therapy. Continued long-term use is not recommended. Withdrawal symptoms for example, rebound insomnia, can appear following cessation of the recommended dose after as little as one week of therapy. Uh, Abrupt discontinuation should be avoided and a gradual dosage tapering schedule followed after extended therapy. Um, That's in the prescription guidelines from the manufacturers of Ativan. Amazing. And I think that's where uh, people like Paul McCartney um, is getting his information to pass this bill. HD 4554. That is, that is amazing. 
We uh, we talked about uh, stop pa stop dot org mm. and other Schedule Four websites that are state funded, but that is amazing. Um, we had the Sullivan County contract, mm-hmm. which is four to six weeks, I think it is. This is uh, two to four weeks on Ativan. Well, that's from the, the manufacturer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So on the prescription guidelines that yeah. the, the pharmaceutical company that makes it, mm-hmm. that's what they recommend. Such uh, Schedule Four medicines that develop um, tolerance so rapidly, an, an individual um, may find themselves using even uh, the pain-killing substances uh, such as oxycodone uh, for years. Uh, the truth is, is that the, if you're on the same dosage for more than several months, it, it really it has developed a tolerance. It's tolerance very similar to individuals who can you know, maybe go out with their friends and have a few drinks, and you know, they're not heavy drinkers, but a person who drinks more regularly would, would not even be feeling affected by a few drinks uh, as a person who drinks not as much would be because of tolerance. So it's very interesting. Uh, individuals could be on uh, even pain-killing medicine uh, like oxycodone for three to four years, the same dosage, once in the morning, once at night. And actually the truth is that it has very little effect uh, as far as the, the pain-killing efficacy uh, after about four or five, maybe six months the most. After mm-hmm. that, you're just fighting the symptoms of withdrawal and keeping that at bay. You, you know, not really doing a lot for... Uh, the curative effects, it, it's more palliative just to get you through. But even at that length, it has no palliative effects at all. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And interesting to, you know, um, continue this discussion on that. The tolerance and, you know, the the withdrawal effects while someone's even on their medication. And, you know, we had talked about this before, you know, maybe a few times, uh, maybe once or twice. Um but it's an important topic, and I think it's it's a good topic because uh, I'm sure you've seen people, and I I run into people, and um, you know they think they they want to do good, you know if it's prescribed by their doctor, you know uh, they're being compliant and they're taking their medication. So we have uh, we're not medical doctors. We've had people who we were able to help, and why are we so interested? We're interested because we deal with people every day who say my anxiety's through the roof. I'm so anxious, uh, my clonopin's not helping, my Ativan's not helping, I don't know what to do. And as we work hard and harder as therapists to try to understand, are they talking about withdrawal symptoms or are they talking about anxiety? It's appropriate that as we work with our clients to be able to help them understand that, please feel free, talk to your doctor and say, is tapering right for me? I've been mm. on the same dosage for three years. It doesn't seem to be having any effect. You know, should we add a benzodiazepine? Should we substitute? Should we, um, you know, do something different? Because it's it's not working. My anxiety's through the roof. And many times it is the case. Individuals who are taking uh, Xanax three times a day or as needed, uh, they will be suffering from such withdrawal symptoms that, in fact, they will feel that, um, A, number one, it's not working, and number two, that their anxiety is, quote-unquote, going through the roof. And we've had many individuals most recently who've um, gone to their doctors and have asked to taper off benzodiazepines after three to four years of usage, and the doctors are more than willing 
to help them taper off and to start uh, working uh, with uh, psychologists and counselors to help with the anxiety symptoms that we can now monitor the anxiety of it as opposed to trying to struggle, wondering is this anxiety or is this withdrawal? Mm. Good point. So I think uh, we're also going to talk about today about couples therapy and some of this information we've talked about before and what it is uh, to work with couples. Um, so you see couples, don't you? I do. Yeah. Yeah, what is uh, the major complaint about couples that they snore or they um, they don't care for one another, they don't show respect or, mm. you know? Well, I'm, um, I don't have as many um, clinical hours under my belt as you do, but the, the couples I have seen, um, I guess the most frequent uh, kind of complaint that I see is... Um, you know, usually disagreements about intimacy, disagreements mm-hmm. about finances that leads to bitterness and resentment. Um, part of this can be resolved with assertiveness. Um, mm-hmm. But those are two of the big things that I see is finances and intimacy, which leads to, you know, resentment and, you know, feeling bitter towards mm-hmm. the other person and mm-hmm. not really communicating well, not really communicating effectively. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, many times to communicate effectively, it seems to me the idea is to not make it personal, like whether it's about intimacy, which is a personal thing, but mm. you know, are there other stuff going on? Do we live a life? Uh, do we have a worldview? Do we have a relationship that where everything is personal? Uh, so whether it's finances or kids or intimacy, it, everything's a fine, uh, some type of personal issue. And there's several... Factors, there are several uh, ideas that a person could use or a couple could use to help move forward and be more successful. And they could certainly group these factors or group these ideas and look at their lives and take responsibility and look at these uh, uh, plans or programs that they could use. And for example, one of the things that people could do it's so simple, it's so easy, is make a goal with one another to overlook each other's faults. We talked a little bit about this before. Overlook each other's faults and don't highlight the faults as if if you prove a fault to any other person, you're going to get somewhere. You're going to be right and the other person's wrong. It just makes things so personal. Nobody takes the vow for right or wrong when you get married and say, you know, I, John, take you, my wife, to be right for the rest of our married life. Like, no, nobody does that. You take the vow for better, for worse, and what's better for us, what's worse for us. So the idea would be to overlook each other's faults. And if possible, if somebody said to me, well, what if the other person's an addict? Well, then they need treatment. It's, it's not that you've proven your point that, you know, I'm so much better than you because I'm, I'm not an addict and you are. It means that somebody in the house is sick. They need help. They need treatment. But try to overlook each other's faults and not to make it so personal. Another idea to build relationships, things that build relationships, overlooking each other's faults, give each other the benefit of the doubt. And that's a rocking idea. We do it at work. We do it at school. 
We need to be more aware that giving each other the benefit of the doubt is a, a building trait. It's a building characteristic. It's a building quality. And if you, if you follow building qualities, you will build your relationship. You'll be able to tolerate stress when it occurs, whether it's an intimacy issue or financial issue or something about the kids. You'll be able to tolerate these stress issues if you concentrate and use qualities that build the relationship. Can you, um, I like that, you know, the, the benefit of the doubt. Can you try and think of a good example? Maybe you have a good example for this one. What would be like a good example of, of giving your spouse or giving your partner the, the benefit of the doubt? There's an old story um, that was told years ago about therapy and can't imagine this was really told about somebody. It's been around for quite a while. A gentleman comes home from work and he, wife doesn't work. And he works, puts a lot of time in, and opens the door, and there's you know, Tupperware all over the floor because the kids have been playing with it. It's 5 o'clock. There's no sign of supper being made. He looks up in the corner of the ceiling, and there's a cobweb. He becomes so angry. He becomes so mad. He says, she can't even clean a cobweb. What does she do all day? I work all day. And he walks around the house just angry, ready to have an argument because it's so personal. Bothers him and hurts his feelings so much. Well, he goes to therapy and therapy is moderately successful, if not rather successful. And several months later, he comes home from work and he opens the door and he looks on the floor and there's Tupperware all over the floor and he looks around the kitchen. There's no sign of supper. To be found, he looks in the corner of the ceiling and there's a cobweb. And he looks at the cobweb and he says, Huh, wow, she must have had a busy day. Mm. Boy, I hope she's okay. She didn't even get the cobweb. Honey, I'm home. That's a true story. Mm. And that's giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Give them a chance, waiting for that alternative explanation. Is there another way to look at this that possibly you did not look at it? So maybe um, oftentimes, you know, in relationships, interpersonal relationships, and we're talking about couples now, but this could be work and social relationships or any other kind. Um, But, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is that oftentimes, you know, couples see the other person do something or not do something, mm-hmm, they commit mm-hmm. something or they omit something, and the other party kind of automatically assumes that, well, the assumption is, well, they, they did it maybe maliciously or intentfully and um, mm-hmm. not really looking at it from their point of view or mm-hmm. if there's an alternative explanation. I like that. I like that spider web story. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. And it could be anything... Uh, sometimes if there's a person who's an addict in the house, they're used to having an agenda when they're going to go out, when they're going to get things, and they're really not connected to their family, and the family struggles to give benefit of the doubt, then they get in recovery, and it's still a struggle to say, like, you know, you're really trying, you're really, you know, working on your addiction. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It's so hard because there's been such a disconnection for so long. Individuals have to give that 
um, effort to give the benefit of the doubt. How many times have people said to me, you know, she leaves the cap off the toothpaste. I can't live with her. I'm done. It's like, okay, well, give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe your kid screamed. Um, you know, maybe one of the children fell over. Um, maybe something happened. Um, but give the benefit of the doubt. And maybe she doesn't like the cap off the toothpaste. Give the benefit of the doubt. I married a woman who doesn't want the cap on the toothpaste. Oh, my goodness. Give the benefit of the doubt. Well, folks, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to On the Couch with Dr. John G. Kuna on 94.3 FM, The Talker. Are you feeling low or are you anxious all the time? Do you feel like your life is tough sometimes or are you experiencing relationship challenges or parenting difficulties or just want some help with everyday stress? If you're feeling this way, you're not alone. And while medication may help you cope with these problems in the short term, they may not treat root issues. You may want some help and Dr. Kuna and Associates can help. They offer evidence-based therapies in a confidential and compassionate environment. You don't have to feel alone. Dr. Kuna and Associates has 20 years of experience, 22 different therapists and locations throughout Northeast PA. They have offices in Scranton, Clark Summit, Blakely, Music, Kingston, Tunkhannock, Shikshini, and Matamoras. Most insurance plans are accepted. You will be treated in a confidential and comfortable environment for addiction counseling, relationship counseling, adolescent counseling, trauma counseling, and mental health disorders. Call 961-3361. That's 961-3361. Or Google Dr. Kuna and Associates. What hurts can be healed. Hi, folks. Welcome back to On the Couch with Dr. John G. Kuna. Our website, again, for your convenience is www.drjohngkuna.com. And our phone number is 570-961-3361. And just to mention to folks, we have many offices out there. Clark Summit, Kingston, uh, two offices in Scranton, Blakely, Tunkhannock. And we take um, most major insurances. I I'm trying to think of a major insurance that we don't take. We take Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Highmark, uh, TRICARE, Aetna, Medicare, Medicaid. We have Cigna. Cigna. Highmark. Yeah, Highmark. Um, yeah, quite a few. And uh, we have many therapists who take Medicaid. I think we have 11 therapists in the music location alone who are authorized to take Medicaid, uh, which is also guising our family and AmeriHealth, so certainly here uh, to serve you folks. So we were talking about uh, couples, and we mentioned a few qualities that are good for building up couples' relationships. So if you do face stressors, you know, somebody says, what is the three things that all couples fight about? You know, it's money, sex, and kids. Well, that's because those are stressful things, but it there's something going on. And the structure, you know, the structure isn't building itself to withstand those tempests or those storms. Yes, they're storms. If you build your structure, you'll be able to withstand those storms. We talked about a few things. One thing was overlooking faults and another quality uh, to enhance your relationship, to build. What are building qualities? One is overlooking faults. It's a building quality. Another one is giving the benefit of the doubt. And another one is give credit where credit is due. How many times do we do that or not? You know, we don't do that. We don't give credit where credit is due. 
I'm not saying we have to follow around each other. Um, you know, that was good. You moved the chair so I could walk by. That was good. <laughs> I don't mean that. Constant validation. Yeah, constant, yeah. Pure, pouring validation. But give credit. If somebody did something good, without that, yeah, you made a great meal, but, you know, you didn't... Uh, Paid a phone bill last week or something like that. You know, no butts. Everybody's got some butts attached to things. But just give credit from a sincere heart. And I think if anything that these three qualities build, it's sincerity, genuineness, genuineness. If you want to build a relationship with somebody... Be sincere and be genuine. Just like when you met each other and you started dating and you fell in love. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. If you use these type of qualities for building a relationship, enhancing your relationship, you know, put yourself to the task to build relationships. Don't be a fault finder. Overlook False, benefit of the doubt, give credit where credit is due. You will come across, and your partner will suddenly come across as genuine and sincere. So you mentioned that to me early, uh, say what you mean and mean what you say. What does that mean in terms of sincerity? Um, I forget, uh, I forget how it came up. We were, you were talking there, and uh, it kind of just popped into my mind, I... Um, I heard this along the road somewhere, um, and I, I'm trying to think of which part um, you were talking about specifically that kind of brought that up. But um, you know, you're talking about being sincere with each other, being genuine. Uh, I mean, I'd say that's that's right up there with being genuine is saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Yeah. Um, whether yeah. that's threats about leaving, you know, well, I've had enough. I'm 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 done with this marriage. Mm-hmm. When there's usually mm-hmm. not anything to back that up behaviorally, it's just usually a threat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that'd mm-hmm. be a, an example mm-hmm. of not saying what you mean and not uh, meaning what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that was just my contribution to talk about being yeah. sincere and being genuine is saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Building up trust. Mm-hmm. If you say, I'll be home at 530, uh, be home at 530. Oh, well, I, I ran into uh, Sammy at the Turkey Hill, and uh, we haven't seen each other for quite a while, so uh, we killed an hour, and then we went somewhere. And so, yeah, I said I'd be home at 5.30. I know it's quarter to nine, but, you know, I don't, I don't get out much, and I work hard. You know, I, I try the best I can around here. I'd never get any credit. Don't go there. <laughs> say what you mean. Mean what you say. There's barriers to building relationships, too, uh, to enhancing the quality of relationship. So just as there's these building qualities that build sincerity, that build genuineness, there's barriers, and the barriers stop you from building. You can only take it so far. These barriers put up roadblocks. And a couple barriers would be, say, for example, causing pain causes change. You know, if I don't like something I see in you, if I don't like something that I I hear about you or the way you're acting towards me or 
thinking something. You know, I'm just going to yell. I'm going to scream. You know, I'm going to emotionally cause pain. And if I cause pain, maybe you'll change. You'll see it my way. and You won't do it anymore. I think that's good if your kids are running out in the street. You know, maybe you should, you know, think of a more direct approach maybe or kids <laughs> trying to put his hands on a hot grill. But interpersonal relationships, not so much. Causing pain causes change. If you don't catch me, if you don't see me, if I remember, I tell you the same thing over and over. You never learn. You never listen to me. Sometimes they think you don't even listen. Well, yeah. That's what you're going to get if your motto is causing pain causes change. And you make a good point. You know, there's the uh, the physical aspect of it, right? I mean, um, I think usually, for the most part, we think of pain as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Generally mm-hmm. grouped in that category. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was having a interesting discussion with my five-year-old the other day about this uh how you know pain is something that teaches us too right Mm -hmm, i mean mm -hmm. you put your hand in the hot fire ow like i'm not gonna do that again i learned okay i learned i'm not doing that anymore you know i got a little scar on my wrist here from when i touched a um hot uh muffler on a tractor when i was a little (laughs) little kid um so you know i learned i never touched that hot muffler again after that you know right Um, right but like you said, Dr. Kuna, the, it doesn't really correspond in interpersonal relationships as it does with, you know, physical pain. Um, so it's the, the same logic, you know, um, causing pain causes change. But um, it doesn't really translate when you're dealing with other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I learned when I was uh, five years old, I put my hand on the stove and I burned it. So I learned not to put my hand on the stove. So this very day... Does it make sense to come home and yell um, and be angry because there's Tupperware on the floor or there's a cobweb up in the corner because if I just yell and scream, people will change. They never change, though. They don't seem to understand. I learned. I learned not to touch the stove. You know, why doesn't he learn? Why doesn't she learn? Why don't they learn? Because it doesn't work with interpersonal relationships. It works with stoves. We didn't marry the stove. <laughs> married the cook. Or the caregiver or the wage earner. Married each other. Causing pain does not cause change. The model, I think, Phil, I like our model that's on our website. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a different viewpoint psychologically or behaviorally if nothing changes then nothing changes you can't yeah. you can't expect it to change you know you say oh you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet yeah if nothing changes then nothing changes and so you, you keep doing the same thing um if you're operating under the assumption right so uh, mm-hmm. you're operating on the assumption that causing pain causes change uh and you're not doing anything differently you're just being emotionally or verbally abusive and yeah. being mean and saying hurtful things and expecting other people around you to, to, to learn and catch on. But it, it doesn't happen. Right? Right. So um, if nothing changes, nothing will change. Right. What, um, so that's, that's the first barrier. Causing pain does not cause change. Right. Um, 
what other what other barriers can we do we have here? Another barrier is I'm gonna make you make me feel better. Not asking for a glass of water. I'm not asking for um pass me to ketchup. But I'm gonna make you make me feel better. This is a big, big blockade big barrier to change we have to be so aware and it's, it's grounded in blaming one another in anger frustration and if I could just make you make me feel better whatever it is maybe my team lost the game um, maybe I, I slipped on the floor maybe the sink is leaking and I just don't feel good about myself today maybe I'm just frustrated with myself today but I'm going to somehow find a way to pin it on you. And I'm going to make you make me feel better. Doesn't work, folks. Doesn't work. Just causes hurt feelings and... Just causes frustration and blame and... It never ends. Yet these are the things that are the blockades to enhancing quality of relationship. Nothing changes... Nothing changes. It's a much better model. So we'll talk more maybe next week's episode or next week's dialogue. We'll talk more about what are the blockades. We talked about what how to enhance your relationship and what are some things that stop that. And thank you for listening today. Dr. John G. Kuna on the Couch Therapy 94.3 The Talker. <laughs>